and I will put my trust in the Lord. There's a peace that passes understanding. There are things that just don't make sense to us. But God knows, God understands, and our faith and trust in Him is what really, really leads us to that peace. And I know all of us probably in this room need that at times because we go through tough situations. And why do things happen in life? I do not know. But God does. And God holds us in the palm of His hand. And He cares about each and every one of us. And our job is to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for you. So we're doing a series called Summer Binge. And we're not binging on Netflix, we're binging on the Word. And the reason we're binging on the Word and we're going through this devotional together, which is online or you can pick one up out in the foyer, the reason we're going through that together is because we know that true rest comes from God. And how do we stay on when we're off? Meaning, how do we vacation physically without taking that time off spiritually? Because if we do take that time off spiritually, it will drain us because true rest comes from God. Come, from, come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what the Word says. So we're going to binge on Him while we're taking time off, while we're going to the lake, while we're going to ball fields and ball games, while we're going to the golf course. We're still going to remember the Lord. And what an excellent opportunity to, to enjoy the beauty of His presence and also to have a good time because I think the Lord loves it when we enjoy His creation and the life that He has blessed us with. Let's pray. We have a quick video, and we're going to dive into the Word. Father, we thank You for Your truth. We thank You for Your peace, Your strength, Your love. Lord, we know that we can't explain everything. We don't ex understand everything, but we, we know that You do, and we put our trust in You. Lead us this day, Lord, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All ten seasons in one sitting. That was amazing. The ceiling's all spiderwebbed. You missed Grandpa's 99th birthday. Like I'm actively trying to stand up right now. And his funeral. Oh, I have a beard. Oh, a chip. <laughs> Binge watching isn't always rewarding. Thanks, Captain Obvious. How long have you been here? All right. We know binge watching isn't always rewarding, but binging on the Word is. Leaning into the Lord is rewarding, and so that's what we want to do as we dive into this. We are going to be in primarily in Mark chapter 9. If you've been going through the Summer Binge devotional with us, you know we're reading Mark and Romans during the month of July, and there is something about Mark chapter 9 that, that I, I felt like God wanted me to share with you guys, and I read it over and over and over again this week. I moved on to Mark 11, would read Mark 9. Mark 12, would read Mark 9, and I just kept coming back to it because I felt like there was a message in here that God wanted me uh, to hear for myself, but also to share with you guys. And if you're reading that devotional, one of the cool things that happened uh, this weekend last is we had a couple of youth kids uh, actually write some of those devotionals. And I believe CJ's was this week and Paige's was last week. And Paige, I think, is sitting back there somewhere. She wrote one of them. And uh, CJ Flannery uh, wrote one of them. They're part of our BIT program. And, and, and you know, there's a core leadership team uh, for our youth ministry, which is super cool uh, that they could participate with us and write those, uh, what God shared with them during those chapters. And so we're going to be in Mark I got to get there myself. Mark chapter 9. I have several scriptures uh, that we're going to talk about today, um, but we're going to base our foundation of what we're reading right here because as I was reading Mark chapter 9, I felt like I could really relate specifically to the disciples uh, during this time, and I'll explain that as we go. 
Now, I got a quick question for you to start off. Who in here really likes winning? Thank you. There's a, I, w- I would figure everybody would raise their hand right there. I can't believe some, some didn't. How many people like losing? Because I want to play you at everything. Because I like winning, you like losing. We can have a really good partnership uh, going on there. But I love winning. I love to win. Have always been that way. Uh, my wife gives me a little bit of a hard time here and there because I, I, I beat the kids at everything that I can. And she's like, why don't you just let them win? And I'm like, listen, woman, when I'm 65 years old, they're going to beat me at everything. This is my time. Don't take this time away from me. This is my time. If I can beat them by 50 strokes in golf, I will beat them by 50 strokes of golf. Now, I'm very nice about it. I only ride the pony around the house a little bit, you know, when I win, you know, and do my little dance, it's just, just a little, but I, I, do, I do rub it in because I, 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 absolutely, I absolutely love to win. But we have to keep that in perspective, don't we? But I ask myself, why do I love to win? Well, you know, it's pride. I love to win because it's pride. And, and yesterday, we were at a ball game, and this came up in my spirit. My son is playing 12U baseball right now, and we were playing a, a team, and they had a woman over there that was very, very loud and obnoxious. And I wanted to personally introduce her to Jesus and the five-fold ministry that I had right here. Um, and I was very, very much rooting for my team to win so that she would just shut her flipping yapper, you know? But she was, yeah, nah, nah, nah. and you guys know, you've all been, don't act like I'm the only one. Anybody that's had kids at the ball field has come across this, and you've seen this, and you've experienced it. And man, that pride just is up inside of you, where you want to win, you want to shut up. And, and here's, here's the reality. We all know her team thinks she looks like a fool. Our team thinks she looks like a fool. I didn't need to join her in her foolishness. And so that's just, it's not smart. We have to keep it in perspective. I love that it's my youngest um, playing ball right now because I, I, I get the perspective where it just, it doesn't matter that. It's 12U baseball. There's no scouts in the stands. There's not even high school coaches there uh, checking the kids out. It's just let them have a good time, right? But we still have this perspective of I have to win. I want to win. I want to shut those people up over there. And there's so much pride involved with this. While we were sitting there talking about this, and I, I really enjoy uh, the coaches that I'm coaching with, they're, they're laid-back guys, and, and we have a good time together. But they were telling me a story about how last year at the tournament, the third-base coach was standing there. A coach from the dugout made some kind of snide remark. He walked over, and he punched him in the face. Now, I've thought about it, but I've never actually done something like that. And he got his team kicked out, and I was just like, I can't even believe that happens. And that was 10U baseball. I'm like, they're 10-year-olds playing baseball. Who's punching somebody in the face over 10-year-old baseball or 12-year-old or 14-year-old or any of those things? But we all know that that competitive spirit just wells up in us, and it's a matter of pride. We want to win. And I'm going to talk about pride today, which is something that we're going to see in Scripture that, that is something that God does not, not just enjoy, but He absolutely hates inside of us. And when I say I'm going to talk about pride, most of us are like, oh yeah, pride. Mm-hmm. We all struggle with that. But I don't think we understand how much against this God really is. God hates pride. And I have a couple of Scriptures here um, that I want to read to us, but the first one is Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart 
is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Uh, One part says a prideful man is detestable to God. That's one version. Detestable. He hates it. If you are prideful, God is, God is against it. He, one, one other verse says he can't even look upon. Like, no, he doesn't want anything to do with that. Pride is a serious thing according to Scripture. It's not something that we should brush under the rug. It's not something that we should just take lightly, but we do. It's funny because if I sit up here and I talk about something like sexual sin, everybody's like, oh, yeah, oh, that's terrible. That's disgusting. We talk about lust, we talk about murder, we talk about stealing, we talk about child abuse. Oh my goodness, child abuse. But if we talk about pride, we're like, oh, pride. But pride in the scripture is taken very, very seriously. Three times it mentions, and I'm going to read one of them to you, that God opposes the proud. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you're proud, he opposes you. Have you ever felt like you're trying to progress at something and you just can't get anywhere because there feels like there's something in your way? Well, God opposes you if you're proud. There might be something in your way. You might be trying to do it all on your own, trying to get all of the credit, trying to put the spotlight on yourself. And you're facing a legit opposition because God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, 18 talks about pride comes before destruction, haughty spirit before, before a fall. Pride, destruction, haughty spirit, fall. Like those things are together. And it's important for us to understand how much God hates this sin, the sin of pride. And, and what is pride? I want to explain that to us a little bit today. Pride is really like us having a spotlight that we're walking around with, and it's constantly pointing at ourselves, right? And what God wants is us to take this spotlight and everything we do to be pointed at the cross of Jesus. That's what he wants. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that everything we do, including eating and drinking, do all for the glory of God. See, that's what we're here for. We're here to shine the light of our life on him, But instead, what we've done is we've taken that light that's supposed to be shining on him, and we've turned it towards ourselves. That is pride. And we don't just do it in an arrogant way at times. Sometimes we do it where we fail at something. We're like, oh, look at how bad I am at that. What are we doing? We're shining the light on ourselves. Gosh, I'm just an idiot. I'm terrible. What are we doing? We're making us the center of the universe, and we're shining the light on ourselves. And this is something that has plagued our world and our culture. We call it self-esteem. We call it building ourselves up. It drives me nuts when that's what we talk about to our kids. Because I I don't want them to know or care what they think. I want them to know and care what God thinks. Because God thinks they're worth Jesus. And if they understand that... If they know what God thinks of them, man, that is just so encouraging and and, and uplifting. But it's not about them. It's about, once again, Him, right? And that's the difference. And that's what we have to learn to do. We have to learn to shift and turn everything, that spotlight that's on us, and point it towards God. That's what it means to be humble and to humble ourselves. 
is to get that spotlight off of ourselves. One of my most favorite quotes of all time, I probably said it three or four times uh, in the service before that, is this one right here. This is God's universe, and God does things His way. You might have a better way, but you don't have a universe. And that's just true, isn't it? That helps us put things into perspective a little bit. Like, you know what? I might think I have a better way of doing things, because we all do, don't we? But I don't have a universe. This is not mine. I'm a very, very small part in a very, very large, powerful story. And is the spotlight of my life shining on myself? Because if it is, what a waste. Because I will be gone in a vapor. It'll disappear fast. But if my life and my light is shining on something that's eternal, that's beyond me, that I can lift up and, and, and build a kingdom that's forever, that's so much more valuable and so much more important. And so we have to keep things in perspective. We have to understand who we are, and we're going to get into this more, who we are and who God is. It's very similar to understanding that 10 new baseball is just kids going out and having a good time, right? It's just, it's 10 new baseball. Same with this. Like my life is all about shining on God, do everything, eating and drinking even for the glory of the Lord. So that brings us to Mark 9. And, and in Mark 9, I see something very similar with the disciples that I have seen in myself. And, and I, I don't have time to read the whole chapter because I have some points that I want to get to, but I want, really want to point some out specifically. In Mark 9, starting in chapter 2, there's the transfiguration where three of the disciples go up with Jesus, and Jesus is on this mountain, and he meets with Elijah and Moses, which is like super cool. And Peter walks up to him and says, man, Jesus, it is, it is super cool that we are here and get to see this. I mean, he's all focused on himself. We have those those experiences that are just amazing, and we like being a part of them. After this, they come down, and there are several of the disciples arguing with scribes and Pharisees, and Jesus shows up, and he's like, what is this all about? And there's a man who brought his son who had a spirit that they could not cast out, and they couldn't figure out why, and so then this man explains to Jesus what is happening right here, and his son is being thrown into these convulsive attacks and he's thrown into the fire and he's thrown into the water and he's scared for the, for this young man's life and Jesus asked him how long it's been happening he said ever since he was little and so then Jesus takes him and this was a a, a, a devil that the the disciples couldn't cast out and he casts it out and says no longer be a part and he lifts that young man up and he's he's a new he's he's totally different and so then the disciples after this and this is where we're going to, to pick up. Well, actually, I want to pick up just a little bit because there's a part that I absolutely love in here. I feel like I have to address. Starts in verse 21. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it is often cast him into the fire and in the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I look at this and I think this is humility right here, right? The disciples wanted to cast the, the devil out, couldn't do it. Jesus says, you know what? All things are possible to one who believes. And he says, I believe, help, help my unbelief, help it. And I think that's a reality for all of us, right? We cry out to the Lord for help because we know who we are and we know who he is. Reality is 
you are a sinner. Reality is you need a savior. Reality is you can't save yourself. But also reality is God sent Jesus to save us because he filled that gap for us. And so where I struggle, Lord, fill that gap. That's humility. The disciples come up and say, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said, this cannot be cast out by anything other than prayer. You see, what happened here is, is they didn't realize that they needed that connection with the Lord. And we're going to do a series that I'm really excited about on prayer in a couple of weeks. Starts in a couple of weeks. And if you're interested, I'm going to base most of this stuff out of a, a book by Timothy Keller called Prayer. And you can get that book. Buff is going to order some of them uh, for us and she'll have them here for you. But you can get that book and read ahead of time. And we're going to talk about on Sunday morning's prayer because we have to maintain that connection with God. And so that's very, very important. And so after this, after that section, after they couldn't cast that demon out, in verse 30, it says, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. He was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. This, this seems like important information, right, that he's sharing with his disciples. Verse 32, but they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask. 33, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Ever have that argument? Let me tell you, 12 you baseball players have it every single game. Every game. Every game. I'm the best. No, I'm the best. I should pitch today. I'm better than everyone else. It's just a reality. They all argue about it every single game about who's the best. Now, it's amazing to me. Okay, first of all, they could not cast this devil out. Jesus is informing them of something that's very, very important. And they're not going to ask. They're not going to try and gain understanding. But what are they doing? They're arguing about who is the greatest. That seems to be something that we have in our culture today, doesn't it? I mean, that seems to be familiar with my world. Where I feel like I'm, I'm missing out on something incredible, but I'm not even paying attention to that. I'm all, only paying attention to my greatness. What I can do for me. And what am I doing? I'm essentially taking that spotlight and I'm turning it away from Jesus and I'm pointing it on myself. And it is such it is such a waste. That's what they're arguing about. And so then this is where Jesus teaches them a lesson. He teaches them this lesson right here. He says, verse 35, And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. That's what I want. If you want to be first, you have to be last. You have to learn to put others ahead of yourself. Then he takes a child and he puts him in the midst and said, right here, serve this. Be behind this. Another section, he says, have the faith of a child. Trust in God. Lean into him. And that's what he wants. And then this story, I think, comes full circle right here in verse 38. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And what did they try to do? We tried to stop him 
because he was not following us. When I read that section, I think, oh my goodness, this story, just this whole section of scripture just got brought all the way around. One, they couldn't cast a devil out. Two, Jesus is giving them important information, but they're not paying attention. Three, they're worried about and concerned about who is the greatest. And fourth, they tried to stop someone who is casting out devils in Jesus' name. Why is that interesting? Well, I've been here before, and I haven't experienced it in a long time, but, but a reality is when I was 16, 17, 18, and I was in sports myself, I would go out and maybe lose a wrestling match, and I found myself a little part of me rooting against my teammates. Why? Because if I couldn't win, I didn't want them to win. I didn't want to be the only loser out there. What is that? Once again, that is pride. And I see this here, the same thing with the disciples. They couldn't cast out a devil. But what happens? Oh, we saw somebody else doing it, and we tried to stop him. What's Jesus' reply? Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Jesus, what are you doing? Why would you stop somebody from taking care of and helping other people? Why would you do that? I'll tell you why we would do that. Because if I couldn't do it, I don't think they should be able to do it. And Jesus puts a stop to it. And I think that's interesting because when I see this story, I see a lot of us. I see a lot of myself. We're not concerned about the kingdom and the big picture. We're really focused on the small story of our lives. We've really taken the spotlight and we've turned it off of Jesus and we have pointed it on ourselves. And I actually really like that part right there. I don't like it. But he says, I tried to stop him because he was not following us. Not he was not following you, Jesus. He was not following us. What is that? That's about me. I'm the greatest. I'm part of this group, this team. And he's not part. So he can't do it. I, I think that's, that's really, really an interesting part of the story. And it really, really shows the pride of the disciples. And Jesus over and over and over again in Scripture tries to address them with them tries to address this, tries to tell them that if you want to be great, you have to humble yourself, you have to serve others, you have to put their needs above your own. This is not easy, this is difficult, but it is important. Why? Because God opposes the proud. And every person in Scripture that we hold up in high esteem are people that put God first. The story of David versus Saul, where David was humble when he sinned and said, oh my goodness, Lord, I have sinned before you. And Saul says, who are you to address me? I am king. And God says, fine, I'll take the kingdom from you, and does. It's important for us to realize how important humility is. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, talks about humbling ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, not you, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to be the dominion forever and ever. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.
I want to give you in our last couple of minutes together a recipe for humility. Because if you're anything like me, I want to live a humble life. I want to be a servant. I want to trust God because I know that's what he wants. I don't want to face God as opposition. I want, I want to be on his team. I want to be on his side. I want to get the spotlight off of myself and onto him. And so here's a recipe for humility. Number one, fear God. In Ecclesiastes, the wisest man to ever live, he concludes it all by saying, fear God and keep his commandments. This is it. This is everything you need to know and do. Fear God and keep his commandments. God is the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't fear others. Don't fear status. Don't fear governments. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the foundation of a humble life. Knowing your place and knowing his. Knowing your power, your limitations, your restrictions, and knowing his power, his lack of limitations, and his lack of restrictions. That's important and valuable to build a humble life. Number two, honesty. Bible tells us that the truth will set us free. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Why? Because honesty with who you are and with who God is is very, very important and valuable. We have to know that. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with other people. We have to know the truth because the truth will set us free. Third one, mercy. Oh man, one of my favorite sections of Scripture, Matthew 9, 10 through 13. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with him, Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why would we do this? Why would we stoop down to this level? And Jesus, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous or those who think they are righteous, that's what the New Living says, but sinners. I've not come to call those. I've come for the sinners. I desire mercy. You see, it's easy to get up to say stupid things when people are, are mistreating you. It is hard to give them mercy. It's hard. But that's what God requires of us. Why? Because that's humility. And it's part of the recipe for humility. Give mercy to those. And the last thing that I have is gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5 16 through 18, tells us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do you know what God's will is for your life? I just told you. It's to rejoice always. It's to pray without stopping. And it's to give thanks in all these circumstances. That is God's will for you. People ask all the time, Andy, I don't know God's will. I do. Rejoice always. Pray nonstop. And give thanks. Give thanks. You start doing those things, and maybe God will give you something else. But it's important for us to understand God's will is right here. We can find it in the Scripture, and I just gave you three elements of it. Know and understand that for your life. Put it in play in your life, and you will see humility take over, and then when you are humble before God, He will exalt you. Imagine... If all of our lives 
pointed at Jesus all the time. Imagine how our world would be different if just the people in this room turned that spotlight away from themselves and onto the Lord. Imagine a country where the people decided to get that spotlight off of themselves and onto the Lord. It would be a very different world that we lived in today. See, God opposes the proud because when we're prideful and it's all about us, we're going multiple directions. But when we're humble and we understand who God is and that's who we're pointing towards, we're all going one direction and it changes our world drastically. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. Lord, just lead us in that. Help us to see where we can turn that spotlight towards you. Help us to not be selfish and focused on who we are, but help us to lean in and focus on who you are. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.